the thrills and chills of being in love. On why love happens between a man and a woman, a little girl named May, age nine, said this, No one is sure why it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. On what falling in love is like, John, age nine, says, It's like an avalanche where you run for your life. Glenn, age seven, adds, If falling in love is like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. On the importance of love, Greg, age eight, says, Love is the most important thing, but baseball is pretty good too. Here are a few general opinions about love. Floyd, age eight, puts it, Love is foolish, but I still might try it sometime. A little girl named Regina, age 10, comments, I'm not rushing into being in love. I'm finding fourth grade is hard enough. (laughs) You that are single need to perk up. Here's a couple of surefire ways to make a person fall in love with you. Alonzo, age nine, makes this suggestion. Don't do things like have smelly green sneakers. You might get attention, but attention ain't the same thing as love. Here's a suggestion from nine-year-old Bart. One way is to take the girl out to eat. Make sure it's something she likes to eat. French fries usually works for me. (laughs) What about a few song titles for the person you love? Well, Will, age seven, would sing, Hey, baby, I don't like girls, but I'm willing to forget you are one. (laughs) And what about eight-year-old Larry's song, You are my darling, even though you also know my sister. (laughs) Finally, a few suggestions on how to make love last. Aaron, age eight, says, don't forget your wife's name. That'll mess up the love. No doubt it will. Dave, age eight, says, be a good kisser. It might make your wife forget that you never take out the trash. And last, Natalie, age nine, offers some sage wisdom. She says, don't say you love somebody, then change your mind. Love isn't like picking what movie you want to watch. A profound statement indeed. Well, as insightful as John and Floyd and Regina and Alonzo and Aaron and Dave and Natalie are on the subject of love, the most profound statement on love comes from God. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, God tells us, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is real love. It's a bold and determined and daring kind of love. This is the kind of love that God has for us and the love that He wants us to have for one another. I'm sure we would all agree that the safest kind of love is a mother's love. 
A baby snuggles and cuddles in her mom's arms and relies on her mom completely. A toddler skins his knee and goes racing to his mother. Children find love and they need it. They find it in their mother. But as kids grow older, they reach out to love people other than their mother. And love becomes more a risky proposition. By the time you leave middle school, you've learned that people that you love can let you down. Friends and classmates can't always be trusted. Love leaves us vulnerable to hurt and to disappointment. You remember in elementary school, before admitting you loved the little girls who sat by the window in the sixth grade science class? You wrote her a note. It said, I love you. Do you love me? Check yes, no, or maybe. I mean, even in the sixth grade, you were already looking for ways to buffer yourself from the pain of rejection. Before you take a chance on love, you wanted to guarantee that your love would be reciprocated. See, it doesn't take long for human beings to learn that love is risky business. As adults, we've all experienced the empty feeling of having loved and lost. Have you felt the pain of a failed friendship? Or the agony of a fading romance? Have you ever felt the awkwardness of living around the wedge driven between two family members? I mean, we've all been wounded deeply by someone we've loved. Perhaps you were neglected by a sibling, or taken advantage of by a friend, or rejected by your spouse. Maybe your teenager took and took and took and never showed a shred of gratitude for all of your sacrifices. You've loved, and you've come out on the short end of the stick. Is it any wonder we sit here this morning just a little cynical about this subject of love? Oh, if all love was as simple and unconditional as a mother's love. I know folks who would never say that they're against love. Who in their right mind would be opposed to love? But there are people who only pretend to love. They love sort of or so-so. The love they muster is a placid kind of love. Their involvements are kept at arm's length. Their passion only rises to lukewarmness. Years ago, they stopped throwing themselves into other people's lives. Without realizing it, they become guarded and protective and closed off. These are folks who deep in their heart have vowed to never let themselves love like they once did. They'll never become that vulnerable again. Love is too risky. They'd rather just sort of skim through life. Like a rock skipping across the surface of the lake. Indulging in an occasional superficial friendship. Rather than plunge headfirst into a relationship and experiencing the thrills and chills of real love. When we were young, we loved lavishly and unreservedly, but now that we're adults, we're more cautious, aren't we? Some of us have opted to harden our hearts and to nurse our hurts. We've allowed allowed ourselves to grow bitter. In the wake of our disappointments, we've toughened up and grown callous. Some of us have given up on love. One of my favorite Bible verses is John 13, verse 1. John is recounting events that lead up to the cross. His comment here sounds like just a passing statement, but it really sums up the heart of Jesus like no other verse does. In John 13, verse 1, 
Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Did you hear that? Over the following few hours, Jesus' disciples will abandon him. In his moment of greatest need, they'll fall asleep and then flee in fear. They'll even deny that they know him. One of his most trusted men will collaborate to kill him. Yet listen again to John 13 verse 1. He loved his disciples to the end. Understand, Jesus never gave up on love. Let's read through our text again this morning. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Love suffers long. Like a Timex watch, love takes a licking and keeps on ticking. You don't hear Jesus tell his disciples, you knuckleheads have one last chance. Forsaking me in the garden is one thing, but you better speak up for me at Pilate's judgment hall. That's where I draw the line. No, you never hear that. When Jesus submits to the Roman scourging, he doesn't tell them, all right, you can beat me, but no nails, no cross. Right here is as far as I go. No. Love suffers long. It bears a burden as long as that burden needs to be bared. Love never quits. Years ago, I was listening to his radio program when James Dobson interviewed a lady who was dying of cancer. When she was first diagnosed, one doctor told her that she could live out the rest of her days on the beach somewhere. He suggested she just go out and enjoy the sun and the surf. Just go to Acapulco. That would be great. Take advantage of the short time you have left to live. Another doctor, though, suggested she could undergo grueling, brutal radiation and chemotherapy sessions with the hope of extending her life maybe two, maybe four years. Well, she chose the treatments to extend her life. And this is the explanation for it that she gave to her three small children. She wrote, I've chosen to survive for you. This has some horrible costs including pain, loss of my good humor and moods I won't be able to control. But I must try this, if only on the outside chance that I might live one minute longer, and that minute could be the one you might need me when no one else will do. For this I intend to struggle tooth and nail, so help me God. Her care for her kids showed love's willingness to suffer long. Paul also writes, love is kind. It's not harsh. Love isn't demanding. Love leads rather than pushes. Love's urgings are respectful. Its proddings are gentle. Love does not envy. It never wants the blessing that God chooses for someone else. In other words, it reads the name tags on the gifts before it grabs them. And it's happy for the person who gets the nice gift. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't show off. It doesn't attract attention to itself. It's not puffed up. Love is humble. It doesn't mind picking up a towel and washing some dirty feet. The purer the love, the lesser the pride. As a father of four kids, over the years I've picked four noses. I've wiped four rumps. And I've cleaned the wax out of eight ears. And I can honestly say I never once minded. At least not the noses and the ears. But real love doesn't mind the dirty work. And love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. 
Love doesn't intend to embarrass anyone. It's always concerned about the feelings of the other person. Reminds me of the young bride-to-be who went to purchase material to make her wedding dress. She asked for the noisiest material available. The clerk thought that was an odd request until the young girl explained, My fiancé is blind, and I want him to hear when I reach the altar so he won't be embarrassed. Love is not provoked. As the NIV puts it, keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't hold grudges. Love thinks no evil. It doesn't jump to negative conclusions. It always gives the benefit of the doubt. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love doesn't take delight in someone else's sin. It's not waiting on the day when the other person blows it so bad it finally has a justification for giving up on that person. No, love isn't looking to resign. It grieves over iniquity and sin. Remember, it was love hanging on the cross crying out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many times has love repeated that same statement in regards to your life? A hundred times? A thousand? Maybe a hundred times this week? Paul concludes, love rejoices in the truth. Love despises clouds of suspicion. It's irritated by gossipy whispers. It celebrates when the truth is made known. Love bears all things. Love has broad enough shoulders to bear the embarrassment of another person's sin or shortcoming. Love stands up for the person who's fallen. If Jesus can bear the sin of the world with his help, we can bear the shame of our child or our friend. Love believes all things. Love is the eternal optimist. Love never gives up on what should be and can be. Love looks past the actual and always sees the potential. And love hopes all things. No matter how dark the sky grows, no matter how fierce the storm rages, love believes the sun will shine again. Love knows that the night doesn't last forever. A new day eventually dawns. And love endures all things. Thirty-nine lashes laid to his back. Seven-inch iron spikes pounded into his wrists and ankles. A ring of thorns piercing his sweaty brow. Blood oozing into his eyes. A pointed javelin thrust between his ribs. The jeers of the crowd. The terrifying rush of sin over his spotless soul. Feelings of isolation from his Father in heaven. A tightly wound shroud. And three days in a wet, cold tomb. That's what love endured for you. Love endures all things. With the love of Jesus, we can endure problems in our marriage, rebellion in a child, difficulties with a friend or a fellow church member, conflicts with a neighbor. Love endures. Love outlasts, and it pushes through. Love is all these things. And yet there's one more truth that applies to love. Paul shouts out the crescendo for all the world to hear. Love never fails. This is why a lover is always a hero. When my capacities diminish and my abilities begin to fade and I lose the wherewithal to impact others with my reasoning or with my speech, I can continue to influence them through my love. For love never fails. The person who loves always wins. At the end of his career, 
Babe Ruth was a shell of the player he had once been. No longer a slugger for the New York Yankees, he was now an error-prone right fielder for the Boston Braves. In one inning, the Babe's poor, poor play had accounted for five Cincinnati runs. And as he walked off the field in shame, boos and catcalls rained down from the stands. It was really embarrassing for the former star. But when Ruth neared the dugout, a young fan jumped out of the bleachers. This little boy ran to his hero, and with tears streaming down his face, he clasped onto Babe's big leg. Babe Ruth didn't hesitate. He scooped up the child in his arms, gave him a big bear hug, and then set him down on his feet with a playful pat on his head. It was a kind and heartwarming gesture from the former star. And it impacted the crowd. The booze ceased. Suddenly a hush fell over the stadium. A different standard was being applied to this baseball has-been. All of a sudden, his performance was not as important as his heart. And though his abilities had receded, it was his love that still made the babe special. He still had a big heart for his fans. And in the end, it was his love that endeared the crowd to their hero. Why? Because love never fails. Jason Tuscus was a 17-year-old honor student who was also an expert swimmer and an avid scuba diver. Jason loved his parents, and they had a great relationship. He also was best friends with his younger brother, Christian. The four of them constituted a loving, tight-knit, happy family. One Tuesday morning, Jason left home, and he headed for West Central Florida, where he and his friends were going to explore some underwater caves. Jason had promised his mom he'd be home for dinner. It was her birthday, and the family had plans to celebrate, but Jason never returned. That morning, he got lost in one of the underwater caves, and he panicked. He tried to slip through a narrow passage, and he got pinned. He couldn't free himself. And at some point in the struggle, Jason realized his fate. He took off his yellow oxygen tank, and with his diver's knife, he carved a message into the paint on the tank. It read, Mom, Dad, Christian, I love you. Obviously, Jason never stopped loving his family, even in the throes of death. He loved them to the point of death. Jason's final actions upon death were illustrative of Jesus' attitude toward his disciples. He loved them to the end. Realize this is how Jesus loves us. He loves us to the end. His love has no expiration date or statute of limitations. His love never stops caring. His love never gives in to fatigue or disappointment or discouragement or frustration. Jesus never runs out of love. Don't doubt Paul's statement, love never fails, for you are its proof. That you are God's child today is the result of God's never failing, always prevailing love. Listen to what little Dave, age eight, says about love. Love will find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. Yeah, take that little boy's comment and substitute the word God for girls, and it becomes the story of our lives. Love will find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but God keeps finding me. God keeps finding you, doesn't he? 
Perhaps you're on the run. Perhaps you've been bucking his will. You've, you've forsaken his plan. You've rooted in and stiffened your neck. You've insisted on your own way and hardened your heart. But God keeps finding you. There's a famous poem that refers to the Holy Spirit by the metaphor, the hound of heaven. Hope you realize this morning you've been sniffed out and treed by the love of God. Without a doubt, if you're a Christian, you are proof that love never fails. Over the, over the 14 years that we had her, I learned a lot about God's love from my dog. I could come home upset, ticked off, and vent my frustrations on my dog. I could talk to her in mean tones, and the next time I would come home, she'd be right there at my feet, wagging her tail, somehow telling me that she still loved me. A dog's love is unconditional, and so is God's. Don't misunderstand. God's acceptance of us is highly conditional. God forgives, and He bestows His favor only on people who commit their lives to His Son. But whether you accept Jesus or you reject Him, God still keeps loving you regardless. His love never fails. Do you realize that God loves every soul in hell? Actually, God has never sent anyone to hell. Everyone in hell is there because they've chosen to be there. Hell is populated by folks who've rejected God's love. At times, people may fail to receive, to receive God's love, but God's love never fails. Jesus loves people today to the very end. His love never, never, never gives up. And so I ask you, why have you given up on love? You see, it's one thing for me or you to receive love, but it's an entirely different thing for you and I to believe in love. For years, I benefited from God's love for me without ever trying to love, live it out in my own personal life. I believed love was free for the taking. But what I didn't realize was, was that love should be me in the making. God wants us to live out the love with which He has loved us. On traditional church calendars, the Thursday before Easter Sunday is called Monday Thursday. The word Monday is Latin. It means the day of the mandate. It harkens back to the night before Jesus was crucified when he gave to his disciples a new commandment, a new mandate. In John 15 verse 12, he told them, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. They were to love one another even as he had loved them to the very end. Jesus mandated that our love be our modus operandi. For a disciple of Jesus, love is not an occasional foray. It's not an excursion from the typical routine. For the believer in Jesus, love needs to be a way of life. Ernest Gordon paints a powerful analogy in his novel, Miracle on the River Kwai. The Japanese army, they were using Scottish POWs to build a, sold, a, a, a railroad bridge in the jungle. The soldiers were near despair. They had abandoned military rank and order and discipline, even decency. The Scottish soldiers were at each other's throats from the pressure of their ordeal. That is, until one afternoon, at a checkpoint, a shovel turned up missing. The Japanese officer in charge was furious. He demanded 
that the missing shovel be turned over immediately or else. Well, fearing that all the POWs might be killed, one of the Scottish soldiers, he stepped up. The officer laid down his gun, picked up a shovel, and beat the soldier to death. And then he made the prisoners carry the man's bloody corpse with them for the rest of the day. It was barbaric. Well, at the next checkpoint, again, the tools were counted. But this time, all the shovels were accounted for. The missing shovel was no longer missing. As it turns out, the soldier had died due to a simple miscount. Quickly, though, word traveled throughout the camp that a man had laid down his life for the sake of others. Suddenly, the attitude within the camp was radically altered. Decency and order returned among the men. The Scottish troops started caring for each other again. The prisoners began to treat each other like brothers. And this is the effect that the work of Jesus should have on us. The world laughs at those who love. Doubters scoff. Why care about folks when they don't care about you? It's better that you look out for number one. Nobody else will. But among us, love should be in fashion. Giving and sacrificing for the other guy should be invoked. For Jesus has done that for us. And he's asked us to follow him. In secular history, an interesting quote appears from a Greek writer named Lucian. He lived between 120 and 200 AD. And he witnessed firsthand the lifestyle of the early Christians. He wasn't a Christian, but he wrote this. It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first leader, Jesus, has put it into their heads that they are brothers. Has it gotten into our heads? Has it gotten planted into our hearts that we really are brothers and sisters? When was it that you stopped loving? What was it that scared you off? See, it doesn't really matter because on the day you came to Jesus, you received a new mandate. As kids, we loved all out. We loved with a reckless abandon. Now we're God's kids, and we need to dare to love again. Let me ask you, do you really believe in love? Do you still love your parents now that they found fault in you? Do you love your spouse now that he or she has let you down? Do you love that wayward son or daughter now that they've been a disappointment? Do you still love your estranged friend even though he's mistreated you and now wants your forgiveness? See, I believe there's a marriage here today. In the beginning, you both were givers. You served and sacrificed for each other. You thought more about each other than you did for yourself. But now you've stopped fighting to make your marriage work. You've stopped trying to keep love alive. Somewhere along the line, you've retreated into your corners like tired boxers. You've given up. Ladies, you want your husband to change. But rather than offer him your support, you've discovered it's easier just to point out his deficiencies. Rather than encourage him to godliness, you've become content to get your own way. And men, have you given up on love? Oh, you say, it takes long hours at work. Well, we both know it's easier to work a little longer than it is to come home and help with the kids and minister to our wife's needs. See, it's so easy to give up on love. Perhaps you've lost your patience with your testy two-year-old. 
or your disrespectful middle schooler or that teenager who wants the privileges but none of the responsibilities. Why care anymore? Why try? Why keep loving? Because it's love that never fails. St. Augustine was not always a saint. There was a time when Augustine was quite the hellraiser. He drank alcohol and he gambled and he indulged in illicit sex. And his shenanigans broke his poor mother's heart. Monica was a fervent believer who loved the Lord and prayed constantly for her son. She devoted her whole life to praying for Augustine's salvation. One day Monica was so concerned for her son's soul that she asked the priest to pay him a visit and to try to show Augustine the error of his ways. When the priest said he felt uncomfortable in visiting her son, Monica just broke down. She began to weep and sob profusely. The priest saw it, and he told her, Lady, you have nothing to fear. It is not possible that the son of such tears should be lost forever. Augustine's mother, Monica, never gave up on her son because she never gave up on love. And eventually her love led to Augustine's conversion. You know, if you're serving God, one of the greatest temptations you will face is to give up on love. For love takes longer. If you prefer instant results, be a manipulator. Be an intimidator. Be an agitator. For a while, you can pressure people into action. You can browbeat people into compliance. You can bully them into service. Ignore love, and you'll accomplish accomplish a lot more in less time. But what will you have truly accomplished? See, our goal in serving the Lord isn't just raw results. What we should be doing is nurturing others into a maturing faith and a Christ-like character. Virtues that can't be pushed or forced by us. If you want people to really grow spiritually, it takes time and it takes patience and it takes a lot of love. Early in my ministry, I learned a vital lesson. I had a friend I had leaned on heavily and for months my friend had been a constant help to me. But when he started dropping the ball, I got angry at him and I came down hard on him. Rather than love him and let him lean on me for a while, I expected him to shape up or ship out. And so my bruised and injured friend shipped out. He left us. I was crushed. And I remember as I prayed about it, I was trying to figure out what I had done wrong. And that's when the Holy Spirit spoke three words to me. Love never fails. I realized my awful mistake. I had given up on love. Later, I sent my friend a letter of apology, and in it I quoted a poem. It reads as follows. I was told in the Bible that I should dare to love, and with this commandment comes strength from above. To love was my duty, and it became my delight, trusting in my Jesus, walking in His light. Love rode with my intentions when I reached out at first, but then I went with my inventions, and we took a turn for the worse. I resorted to lesser methods in relating to those I held so dear, all because I stopped believing in the love that was in gear. Love is only a gamble to those who lack in faith. For those who stick to loving have never lost a race. Never stop believing, even if love seems to fail, 
continue in his loving. It is certain to prevail. Please forgive this doubter when he gave up on love. He thought he had devised a way, a way better than to love. He failed, but maybe he has learned what the Apostle Paul said well, that love will never fail. You see, the passing time will tell. Perhaps it's a person in your office, or maybe it's a family member, or a close friend, or a neighbor, or even someone here at church. And they've been acting more like your enemy than your friend. They've made you mad, and they've ticked you off, and they've caused you great frustration. How are you going to react? How will you treat them? Are you going to tell him off? Are you going to give her a piece of your mind if you've got any despair? Are you going to treat them with love? Always remember, love never fails. Once upon a time, it looked as if love had failed. What was successful? What was victorious about hanging on a cross? Love had been beaten and bruised and tortured and crucified, but love kept coming back. Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, then Sunday morning, love busted through. And it became apparent to everyone who saw that love still lived. Love never fails. Thus, don't you ever, ever, ever give up on love. Don't just love the people who love you. Love those that are hard to love. Love those that Jesus has put into your life that he knows are hard to love. And love them like Jesus did. Love them to the end.